Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. It is Thursday, April 28th, 2011, and this is episode 62. We are back from time traveling forward into the future for our last episode. Uh, welcome back, Kevin. Um, welcome back, Paul. Did we just get banned in China because we time traveled? Uh, probably, yeah. Oh, we, well. forgot, we forgot to talk about that last time, but yeah, we're probably banned... And they they're probably they probably have us on a, a list somewhere in some way, shape, or form. But uh, that's correct. I am Paul Fox, if you didn't know. And my compatriot here in time travel is Mr. Kevin Ma. And, and we are here to talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. Um, how you doing this week, Kevin? Um, I'm all right. Yeah. Um, just a little busy, of course. We're uh, recovering from uh, last week's uh, escapades. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. that two-hour podcast, the marathon. That was uh... yeah, that was a long one, but we had a lot of stuff to cover. And uh, you know, interestingly enough, uh, the wife unit is out watching that right now as we speak. Mm. Well, Paul, was it good for you too? What's that? The the last weeks was it good for you too? You know, it was all right. It was all right. Uh, I wouldn't want to do it all the time, but yeah. Um, but yeah, you, would, you, you we talked before. They're having uh, one of the things they're having is ladies' night screenings. Uh, for the film, and my 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 wife decided uh, she wanted a chance to see it, so she got together with her girlfriend, and they're off uh, enjoying the film that is the 3D Sex and Zen right now. Yes, uh, my girlfriend also went to one of those uh, women's only screening. Um, apparently, she had a, quite a, a interesting time there yeah. in the audience. Yes. Um, but yeah, we've kind of moved on. Uh, the, the film's still making headlines, still making news. Uh, we might come back and talk about some of that later but i think we've kind of burned that fuse or burned that candle down for the moment we've got a lot of other stuff to talk about this week but um i got an interesting experience non-movie related that i that i'd like to share with the audience um you know one of the things about you know living in hong kong is you get to experience a lot of stuff that's you know, not native to your, your own culture if you're an expat living here and you know getting older uh, and you, you'll experience this one day, Kevin, many yeah. years from now. Uh, cool. But your joints kind of start to go, and, and I've been having some pain in my knee. And so the wife urged me to go see a Chinese bone doctor. And I was like, eh, all right, you know, it's, I don't really like taking a lot of Western medicine if I can avoid it. So I was like, well, we'll go see what, he's, what he has to say. And 
Um, so the, basically they do this kind of therapeutic acupressure massage um, on the spot that's bothering you. And then they, they give you a poultice. They, they massage it for about 15 minutes or so. And they give you a poultice. Um, and then they wrap it up. And you're supposed to do this consecutively for a few days to really sort of uh, hammer out the spot, whatever's wrong with it. And, you know, the, they brought this poultice out, and it's like this mixture of, you know, it's like a huge, huge Band-Aid, basically, that's been swabbed in this mixture of herbs and, and, and whatnot. The only way I can really describe it is it looks like a poopy baby diaper. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's like this brown poopy color and they come and they just slap it on your spot and then they wrap it with this huge bandage. Um, if you're interested to see what the bandage looks like, I actually threw up a picture on Twitter, uh, yesterday and I went back this evening and I've got another poopy baby diaper on my knee right now. Smells great. Smells like Chinese herbs. If you've ever been into a sort of a Chinese herb shop, it's got that very unique aroma to it and, but it feels a lot better. Um, so Oh, I'm I'm quite good. pleased yeah. with with my experiences so far, um, but we're not here to talk just about that. Uh, we've got other stuff to talk about, but I do want to say our friend who was joining us last week, Kozo, he is uh, currently in the air. I think. I think so, or waiting to get into the air. Yeah. Yes, with uh, a fellow friend of the podcast, Tim Youngs, um, off to Italy to yeah. the Udine off to Film Italy. Festival. They're going to the Udine Film Festival. We talked a little bit about that last time. And uh, I'm hoping it'll bring me back some pizza this year. I don't know. <laughs> you think it'll keep on the plane? Will they have any uh, trouble if, bringing that through if, customs, you think? If they, if they keep it a nice cooler, I think, uh, there might be a chance. Uh, I'm not going to eat it. I mean, you can try and tell me how it is first. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully we can join them one of these years. But for now, we're here to do the thing we do, and that is podcast about movies. Um why don't we get into some news really quick, though, before we get on to our films this week? Well, wait, what films are we talking about? I, I should probably announce that. Uh, we've got uh, Mr. and Mrs. Single for East Screen, the Eason Chan, uh, Renee Liu film from mainland China. We're also going to be talking about the much-anticipated uh, remake of A Chinese Ghost Story, directed by Wilson, Wilson Yip. And we've got a couple West Screen movies, too. What are those, Kevin? Uh, it'll be Hop. Um, and Rango, uh, right, so. the audience for those movies probably wouldn't have listened to our podcast last week. <laughs> I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Before we get into those, though, let's talk about a little bit of news. All right. We've actually got two news stories this week, but one is related to the film we'll be talking about later. So we're going to do that after we talk about the film. So the other news story we've got this week, Kevin, you want to tell us what it is? Yeah, um, I think many people know that um, Peter Chan, uh, after he's finished with uh, Wuxia, his latest uh, movie, uh, he'll be producing, um, I guess, the not remake, but kind of a new guillotines movie, the flying guillotines movie, uh, which is now called the guillotines, or as we were joking earlier, the guillotines, <coughs> or the la guillotine. Yeah, the, the guillotines, or... Yes. Gelatines or Gelatines. Yeah. Mm. Yes. But anyway, uh the film was supposed to start shooting this month. For for with... sorry, for rednecks out there, it's them flying hats that cut your head off. Yes. Yeah. The, the, the the things that were in Wawa West that were cutting through the cornfield. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> if anyone wants to remember that movie. So it was supposed to shoot this month uh with Huan Xiaoming and uh, Ethan Ron um set to star, but the film has been 
uh, delayed at least for a couple of months. Um, and there's been some speculation online why that is happening uh, because the director on the film is supposed was supposed to be Teddy Chan, who last had kind of a tr- troubled production history with also Peter Chan's producer on Bodyguards and Assassins. Um, so this has set off a bunch of rumors on the internet about, and also in Apple Daily, which is, I'm sure, the the standards of uh, of uh, journalism here in Hong Kong. Mm. Um, oh, sarcastic, by the way. But yeah, so so people are speculating that there might be another feud. Um, Peter Chan has uh, commented and denied the feud, saying that he decided on a new direction for the script, which is um, what's causing the delay. Um, he did admit that um, the delay would be a few months late, uh, which, that, which means that was set off kind of throw a kink in everyone's schedules, especially with Ethan Run having to move on to another film soon. So um, Teddy Chan has apparently is, or maybe, or could be, or possibly, or already is off the film as director. And Peter Chan has also confirmed that he has called Andrew Lau, but a long time ago. Um, And this is, he didn't say what caused Teddy Chan to be off the film, but he did say that, um, the film's delayed because of script issues. Now, with the script having to be rewritten and having to be uh, uh, submitted to the censorship board and having to start everything again, that means um, everything could be changed. I mean, you could have a different director. You could have a different star. Um, but I think we should um, make it clear that everything here we're saying is speculation. As far as the official word is concerned, Chan decided on a new direction for the script and decided to change the script. Um, some may not buy this. Um, certain people are not buying this excuse. They, 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 they're so certain that there's a feud between Teddy Chan and Peter Chan again. Um, but I want to say that if you know about Peter Chan's production history on films like Warlords, Perhaps Love, even Bodyguards and Assassin, if you look at the credits, there's always about six to eight writers on his movies. Um, this is because uh, Chen has been known to like to throw scripts around different writing teams. Um, if you notice that the, the several uh, former UFO scriptwriters are on uh, on the credits for all these films because they have all worked on different drafts of his films. Um, and with that, with that history, I, I don't think it's a surprise that Peter Chan would be doing this again, would be throwing the script in a team of writers because he's he wanted to change the film. Um, me and Kozo has talked about this, and we essentially call this the Hollywood style of uh, filmmaking in China, uh, where uh, scripts get thrown around different writers, different drafts, many, many different drafts before it finally goes into production. Um, wh- what do you think, Paul? Do you buy this excuse? Do you think there's really another feud between Teddy Chan and Peter Chan? Do you think it's a script issue? Well, uh, you know, I, I, I have no, no idea. I don't care to speculate. Um, I just think that it's interesting in a film called Guillotines, before it gets made, heads are already rolling. So uh, there you have it. I mean, that's all That's all we can say about it, right? Yeah. Um, and I think to, again, to kind of dismiss some of the, the, the feud speculations, um, I want to make it clear that Bodyguards and Assassin, you can understand why there might be a feud because uh, Teddy Chan was uh, was director and there was disagreements uh, and then his... his uh, it's been long long very well chronicled what happened on that production uh he was 
essentially he walked off the set or he was uh, dismissed from the set. No one knows. But Andrew Lau to come in and, and help shoot the film, uh, which is why everyone thanked Andrew Lau at the Hong Kong Film Awards. But this is different because Teddy Chan was brought on as a director for hire. So I don't know if Teddy Chan would be so passionate uh, with this movie that he would risk getting into another feud with his producer, with Peter Chan. Um, so that I want to throw that again out there. Um, so let's not try and speculate too much. And even if it is spinning, if it is Peter Chan spinning, let's just take it, you know, give him a, a benefit of doubt. And uh, hopefully the film will go back into production. Soon. You know, I, I think that what really needs to happen, though, is Peter Chan just needs to start a TV show called, you know, The Hong Kong Apprentice. <laughs> and he can play Donald Trump and tell everybody, you are fired. You know, uh, <laughs> that's what he seems to like to do, right? Yeah, I, I'm not. Peter Chan is is a very. Um, I was gonna in Twitter I talked about his production history. I mean, he's he's gotten to feuds with different producers. He's had different production companies start up. UFO was sold. Applause picture went down because he was trying to do this Pan Asia thing, and then he had um, I think of Andre Morgan and the Warlords feud ended that. Um, and then now this uh, We Pictures, I think it's this, no, People Picture was this other production company that was a bodyguards and assassin company. And now We, we Pictures, this is his fifth production company. So where is, where does the, 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 the problem lie here? Is it Peter Chan's problem as a producer or Petty Chan's? Anyway, this is all just gossip. But I just want, I guess this news that the film isn't happening yet, but at least we know that, you know, it was almost made. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on and let's talk about some movies. And this East Screen segment is brought to you by LoveHKFilm.com for the latest in Hong Kong film reviews, as well as pan-Asian film discussions. Visit LoveHKFilm.com. All right, up first for East Screen, we've got Mr. and Mrs. Single. So this is the latest film from director Patrick Kong, starring Eason Chan, Bai Beng, and Renee Liu. Kevin, what can you tell us about this masterful film? <laughs> wow, Paul, why did you have to throw me masterful film? I don't know how to follow it up. Um, Mr. and Mrs. Single is uh, Patrick Kong's 10th film, as director, I mean, for those of you who are not in the know, Patrick Kong, um, he made, uh, he, well, he first hit it, hit it uh, as a scriptwriter. He co-wrote uh, Men Sunday in Black. He was also a film critic, and then he became a director with uh, the equally masterful My Sweetie, starring DJ Sammy. Man, that film's not that bad. Ah, come on. I, 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 I enjoy that bad. film. It makes me laugh. I only just, I only made it through the first half of the movie. I'm sorry. Um... The guy was, selling himself as an alien on eBay, that's just a funny, funny scene. I laugh every time I see that. I don't know what it is. I'm not sure if I even got to that scene, Paul. I, but that's oh, but that movie has Steffi in it, so I, I can understand uh, the, the love. Right? Okay, well, moving on. We're talking about, <laughs> we're, okay. we're talking about Mr. <laughs> Mrs. Singles, not Steffi. So. Okay, so, so, so from then on, uh, Kong has uh, made his name... Uh, making teen romances. I wouldn't say teen, but, you know, films about 20-something uh, that have really connected with uh, young people in Hong Kong. Um, this is 10th film. Uh, time flies when you make terrible movies. What was his last one, by, by the way? His mind? last one was Marriage of a Liar. Oh, dear. Uh, starring the great 
uh, lesbian Chrissy Chow. Yeah, but that was kind of co with Wong Jing. What was his last solo one? His last that? solo movie? Well, he's always cold or something. The film before that was a uh, co-directing job on uh, 72 Tenants of Prosperity. And then before that, I think was, was that the one with uh, Steffi and uh, and uh, the other cookie? Uh, was it Love Connected? No, Nobody's Perfect came. Nobody's Perfect. Nobody's Perfect came somewhere in the middle. I mean, Love Connected came after uh, came after hmm. uh, Nobody's Perfect. Okay. Uh, and then he he went on to work with and then he did uh, Seventy Two Tenants on Prosperity, and then he went on to do uh, Marriage of a Liar with Wan hmm. Jing. So. His tenth film is um, also kind of special because it's his first mainland production. He's always made films in Hong Kong with kind of a low budget, um, mid budget. Um, so it's obviously his most technically accomplished film because there is a bit of money here, and it's taking place in a polished Beijing. Um, the set, de- there's actually set designs going on. There's actually CGI. My God, um, what little, what, what little, what little bit of money can do, right? Um, he does leave behind the, the teen cheating on each other stuff, uh, even though there's more lying and cheating going on here, uh, except it's happening in the adult world. Um, Ethan Chan stars... Yeah, but we should point out, even though all this is happening in the adult world, this is a Category 1 movie. Yes, that's the weirdest thing, but um, there's no objectionable content. But we'll talk about this mainland mainland thing. I mean, this is the mainland factor anyway, so we'll talk about it a little bit later. Uh, the story now, it's... Um, Ethan Chan, uh, actually speaking in his own voice in Mandarin, uh, stars as Mike, um, a urbanite in uh, Beijing, uh, happily married to his wife, uh, Jenny, uh, played by Bai Bing. Um, his friend, um, I'm missing his name here, his friend, the perfumer, the master perfumer, uh, played by Harlem Yu, um, tells him that there's a job opening um, as the executive uh, assistant of the company CEO in his company. Um, so he Mike goes to audition and through the master perfumer's help, he manages to score this dream job, which has a pretty good salary for the mainland. Um, they keep telling, giving you a really low number, but actually it's quite good for the mainland. Um, but the problem is that he's working under um, Mandy, played by Renee Lil who is kind of like a Devil Wears Prada type of CEO. She demands um, her executive assistant must be single because uh, he, as, his assist- as her assistant, he must be on call 24 hours a day. So he lies his way into the job, um, hiding his wedding ring and, and, and essentially uh, faking a single life. Um, so from then on, he hides the fact that he's, uh, while he, he, he continues to progress in the company, um, he also has to hide the fact that he's married. Um, eventually, his wife, who is working in the same building, um, the same office building, finds out. And then the two work together to hide the marriage. Um, but it never gets that interesting because the film then kind of shifts towards uh, a romance between uh, uh, Mandy and, and Mike. And you know, you know what happens from there. Um, the film takes place mostly in the in the office. There's a lot of office politics stuff, but that's played really broad. There's a over the top flamboyant gay character, and there's it's really not that interesting. It was originally a, a stage play, and uh, the stage play the playwrights uh, wrote the script here. So that this also marks uh, Patrick Kahn's having first film that he didn't write. Um, it feels like. It's similar to uh, Go La La Go. Go La La Go is the uh, mainland romantic comedy that's about 
um, the office politics and things like that, starring uh, Xu Jinglei and Karen Mock. Uh, I think both films lost a lot of things in the translation because uh, my girlfriend's read the Go La La book, the Go La La Go book, um, and actually the book is also, is a lot about office advancement and and how to work in an office environment. And I have a feeling that that the same situation happened here from the play to the film that they kept a lot of the materialism stuff, the romantic comedy stuff, the, the, the more commercial, I guess, the mainstream friendly stuff. And it kind of lost a lot of the insights into um, how to work in an offense environment and, and this, this whole thing about having to hide your life to, to advance your career. There's a bit of everything here, a bit of Devil Wears Prada, like I said earlier, um, and other Chinese romantic comedies. But this movie is really about the product placements. My God. Uh, there are two major advertisers at this movie that I could tell. Uh, one of them is the Inner Mongolian Milk Company, um, who was a major player in the Melamine scandal and has, up to yesterday, is still involved in some milk poisoning incidents. Um, they have a very, very major presence here in the film to the point where uh, one character opens a hotel mini bar and instead of alcohol or, or water or soda, it's full of Mongolia milk. Um, the other big advertiser here is Lacoste, um, the, the clothing company. Uh, the, the characters, especially Ethan Chen, wears almost entirely a Lacoste, has an entire Lacoste wardrobe, uh, even to one point where his T-shirt has the big crocodile uh, or alligator um, on, right on his chest. Um, it's, it's really Lacoste's fault that Ethan has like, the worst wardrobe ever. He, he wears these really lame sweaters throughout the movie while everyone dresses normally. No one ever points out how, how badly dressed Ethan is. So I think, I think the problem is, uh, lies with the advertisers. Um, the comedy doesn't really work. It's not a particularly funny movie, even though I think at points it tried to be. Um, the office advancement stuff, if it works, it's okay. Um, the film kind of moves along competently. I think that's really the biggest uh, compliment I can give it. Um, it's, but it doesn't mean it's any good. Um, it just it loses a lot of potential because it doesn't really say anything significant. It really concentrates on it kind of concentrates too much on the romance in the second half, and it throws away the the, the I think the um, the whole conflict about hiding Ethan and 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 his wife working on uh, hiding the marriage. There's a lot of potential that could be taken out from that, but um, it's all wasted. Uh, it it does. Um, Show the the urbanism, uh, the, I'm sorry, the materialism that uh, exists in Chinese urbanized these days. Uh, the wife uh, apparently gets into a tan, throws a tantrum, and everything is okay because her husband promised to take take care take care of shopping. Or I think there's a big subplot about buying a really expensive ring, um, but you know it says nothing about it. It has no stance about what it's, it's showing. It just acts pretends to be the most natural thing in the world. Um, maybe us here in Western culture or something, we, we kind of feel a little disturbed by it. But, um, you know, I, I hate to, it's not even a Hong Kong China thing because I think a lot of Hong Kong films also is fall, fall into the same problem. Um, the urbanites also very materialistic people. And, um, again, the whole materialism thing seems to just sort of play out without any, any problems. Um, it's kind of an interesting thing to study. Um, the film isn't really all that special. There's not much to say about it. It's not really a particularly bad movie. 
Um, but it's not very good. Renania is good. Eason Chen is okay. Speaking Mandarin, he, he he dubs himself here, which is great. Uh, the film again is in Mandarin, so I think he was speaking on set, which is even more impressive for a China movie. But it's just so ho hum that it, I can for Renee Liu fans, I can I can say TV it. But um, if you just happens happen by this movie or something, it's I guess you could watch it. But otherwise, don't really go out of your way to look for it. Paul? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree that it definitely tries to fit uh, urban romantic comedies. Uh, I got a very strong sense of Sophie's revenge and uh, uh, what Andy wants, I mean, what women want um, in terms of, you know, trying to set that tone of the or the urban setting. It's just not as nice looking, this one. Uh, mm-hmm. it, 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 Sophie's revenge, the cinematography is nice, it's colorful. Uh, the characters are well lit a lot of times. They didn't have that much attention to detail here. The urban settings look bleak at times. And I, you know, it's, that's reality. I mean, <laughs> it, if you go to Beijing, that's what the Beijing sky looks like. Um, but it, it just was kind of washed out. And I thought it could have been shot a little bit better. Um, but I think it, it is still better shot than most Patrick Kong movies. I, it's just yeah. I mean, it, it was obvious he was working with with a bigger budget, but it was also obvious that he was kind of just phoning it in mm-hmm. um, because this definitely is not reflective of his style for the most part. Um, it, it you know he has little things, quirks and and techniques that he's continuously used that you can recognize even as recent as uh, Marriage with a Liar. You know, mm-hmm. going back to you know early, earlier stuff like Marriage with a Fool, I didn't see a lot of that here. There's mm. still a couple things, but uh, m- most of his hand is invisible for the most part. Yeah. Um, and it, that's fine. I mean, it, I would say that this is a, a competent film. Uh, that's about the most positive thing I could say. I mean, I liked Eason, even though you know you you, you were kind of saying his clothing makes him look dumpy. There's a reason for that, um, and there's there's you know there there's a reason why he dressed the way he does, and it's kind of revealed later in the film. But I, that kind that kind of worked for me, um, and and I didn't mind that. Of course, you know the the product placement was way overboard. Um, it was very much in your face, and and mm-hmm. could have done without that. Uh, the plot it reminded me a little bit of uh, the Miriam film, Dummy Mommy Without a Baby. You know it's. You, you really need this job, so you make up this lie, and then you have, you know, all these, you know, sort of situations that you have to try and get out of. Um, but it didn't have, the, the, the gags it was doing here were, really weren't that funny. There was a, a segment in the middle when Eason and um, uh, his wife, Jenny, or, uh, or Bai Bing, the actress playing his wife, Jenny, were kind of sneaking around because she had, she had realized at a certain point that this was what he needed to do to keep this job and so she was going along with it because they work in the same building so they couldn't be seen like at lunch together and they couldn't be seen coming and going together so they would be passing notes to each other and and doing these little things to keep in contact i would have liked to have seen a lot more of that i thought that them doing that together was an interesting part and it was a missed opportunity because it was basically like 30 seconds to a minute and that was all they did with it um 
I mean, that really was the harder movie. I think that would have been the the key in a typical, more typical, I guess, Hollywood production yeah. or, or more mainstream production. That would be the the, the focus of the movie. Yeah. That would be the center of the movie. Yeah. But here, I don't know what. Well, I mean, here they wanted to go off with because he he does start to get feelings for Rene Liu, and so they kind of go in that direction. Yeah. Uh, I did like where the film ended up eventually. I will say, um, it's it's an interesting thing to look at in terms of sort of the moral message uh, of everything. Uh, but I don't want to give away too much in terms of spoilers. Uh, the, the the material materialism aspect you mentioned I, I do agree with although I think that it, it started out seeming like the wife character by by Bing was gonna be this sort of two-dimensional character but actually she kind of fleshed out and and I liked her a lot more by the end um, even with the materialism stuff yeah even with that because you know it, in part it I, I got the sense that all right, they did that, but she wasn't absolutely 100% like that. You mm-hmm. know, it, it wasn't like a TV drama kind of characterization. It seemed like that at first, but by the end, as things kind of went the way they did, yeah, I mean, she's kind of bossy and, and demanding and everything, but I, I, I don't know. I got I got more of a sense of her character than I had than I expected to, and, and I kind of liked that. Um, there is this whole thing with with her friend. I can't remember the character's name who's basically the villain in this because she's written this book about you know the, the four rules for the perfect husband or something i can't remember the name of the book but it's this chinese book about uh, you know how to make your man perfect you know and and obedient kind of a thing and she had four rules one rule was comes home immediately after work uh rule two was pays for everything rule th- three was the vigor of an 18 year old and I can't remember what the fourth word was. I was frantically writing stuff down, and I, I missed it. But, you know, something similar. And then she said, if your man does all four of these things or has all four of these things, he's perfect. If he has three, he's, like, great. If he's got two, he's average. If he's only got one, you're in trouble. Something like this, you know. Yeah. And so it's her friend kind of persuading her that, you know, Eason is not really this good husband, um, even though he really is. And so, you know, this sort of forms the the fracture that sort of starts coming between the two of them. Well, this is the second film in a row, at least the second film in Pat, uh, in a row for Patrick Kong to have this friend ruins everything, friends. Yeah, so like I was saying, everything. that that yeah. you you don't really see the hand too much of Patrick Kong, but that was one of the things where you could kind of see his influence. Um, but that's even that's just sort of a, a minor point. That's not like the major plot device. Um, that that kind of comes in because you do have this whole relationship that builds between him and Rene Liu. And the funny thing is, is that they, he goes to all this trouble for this job. He has a job of his own that he starts out with. And I think that, you know, by changing jobs, he gets basically an extra 4,000 renminbi per month because he goes, if I remember correctly, he had a $10,000 salary and he went to fourteen thousand dollars. Did they say he had ten thousand dollars salary? I, yeah. I think it's actually that's considerably quite high, and then he started going fourteen. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, but in in terms of like U.S. dollars, that's like five hundred dollars, an, yeah. an increase of five hundred dollars, which is, you know, nothing to scoff at. But then, uh, I'm thinking, you know, for all this trouble, and you know, the fact that you, you know, may end up losing your wife, 
as a result. Why, you know, is it is that little bit of an increase really worth it in the long run? Um, in China, they, it is. In China, it maybe, is. Maybe, but yeah. if they were dealing with, I don't know. Because the lifestyles of these people that they typically portray, the houses they're living in and these kinds of things, it's it's not what a $10,000 or a $14,000 salary or Renminbi salary can afford, you know, basically. Um, but th that's just a, a nitpicky point. Um, let's see. The Eason song, at, at one point, there's a little bit of musical interlude with an Eason song. It, I can't remember the English name, but it's uh, like the translation is... Next year, today, Next or year something. Today? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and it's the same song that he sings in uh, the Jillian movie, uh, If You Care. So if you've seen that movie, it's a number of years old already. Uh, they use that one here, but it's the Mandarin version of that yeah, song. Yeah, I want to bring out that kind of interesting note because um, the, the film is produced by uh, Emperor Films. Now, Ethan Chen used to be at Emperor, Emperor uh, was, he was an Emperor artiste so to speak. He, that song was from his Emperor days. And, um, and If You Care was also made during his Emperor days. And he ac actually left Emperor because um, he didn't like... I mean, part of the reason was because he didn't like how Emperor was trying to make him act in too many movies. So considering that now Ethan is making another film for Emperor and then Emperor bringing out his, his old song that, that they still own, I think this is kind of one of those interesting things mm. uh, in terms of if you follow Hong Kong Entertainment, it's kind of one of those payback things. From yeah. Emperor. Um, so yeah, it, it's just a. It was it was kind of weird to have that song suddenly come up, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, isn't this, isn't he supposed to be chasing after Jillian in a minibus right now or something? <laughs> um, so, but yeah, the the ending of this film again. I don't want to give away spoilers, but there's there's talks about relationships and divorce and things like that. And it's interesting because the final message of this film relates to the big social problem that China is actually having with a skyrocketing divorce rate amongst uh, young people. And it kind of, they're, they're, you can get the sense that they're doing a moral play, a moral push here to say, kind of sort of, this is the way things should be. Um, and again, I won't reveal exactly what it is. To avoid spoilers, but it, when you watch this film, you'll see exactly what I mean. Mm -hmm. um, so I, you know, it's not a bad film. I, I came away thinking, all right, it was okay. It's not the best crafted film. It's not the funniest film. It's not got the most romantic moments. I mean, the 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 big kind of romantic getaway is a business meeting that happens in uh, what is it, Dai Lo San? Um, what what is the, the old mountain or some some tourist? attraction in china Some touristy place that yeah. also sponsored the film yes um and so yeah they they end up going to this place and and it's not super romantic uh, but then you know things happen and and there you have it um so it's it, i'd say it's by it's a by the numbers attempt by a director who wasn't solidly invested in the story um you know just doing it for the main audience if you like any of the leads at all, I'm, I, I kind of like Eason. I like seeing his movies. I'd say it's definitely something to TV. Um, yeah, that, that's my verdict. TV it. All right, now on to our next film, and that is the remake of the classic A Chinese Ghost Story. Um, so this is coming from director Wilson Yip. Now... The original Chinese ghost story, when did that come out? 
Um, nineteen. Uh, See, this is why we don't do live. Yeah, <laughs> Chinese. Yes. Let me search this. Uh, All right, here we go. Chinese ghost story. Nineteen eighty-seven. Nineteen eighty-seven. So yeah, it's it's been a while. Um, and of course, this is based on the classic uh, text. Uh, what is it? The tales of a tales of a the tales of something. The same. The same um, series of stories yeah. from. Uh, from pain of skin. It, yeah, it's a it's a classic text basically um, about ghosts and goblins and spirits and all these kinds of things. Stars Louis Ku uh, as uh, a ghost busting uh, Taoist monk. I guess you'd say he is. And uh, Liu Yifei as the ghost uh, Xiu Xin. Xiao Xian. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Yu Xiao Chun as uh, Ning Choi San. Yes. The you know the classic character portrayed by Leslie. So you, there, there you have it. Louis Koo, his character gets a bit younger here. He was originally played by uh, the grandfatherly Wu Ma, and of course Liu Yifei's character was played by Joey Wong in the original. Um, you also have uh, some Hong Kong representation here with Kara Hoi taking up the role of the tree demon, uh, Elvis and Elvis Soy making a. Yeah! cameo appearance as the village chief who yeah kind of, i remember we were talking about him last week and i was like thinking you know i haven't seen him do anything in a while and then what do you know we go out to see the movie and hey there's elvis um so it's nice to see him again um so kevin why, why don't you tell us what you thought about it and i mean you can give a basic rundown of the story i think if people are probably listening to this show they know they've seen the original they probably know the story a little bit already yeah, if you know the original film, then you know it as uh, a love story between um, Ning Chai Chen, uh, Ning Chai Ling Chai San, who was played by Leslie Chen, and and um, Xiu Xin, who was played by Joey Wang. That's the original film, right? But now um, the new version, played by uh, directed by Wilson Yip, um, adds in the uh, turns the Wu Ma character into Louis Ku and um, makes it a, a love triangle. Uh, the film starts out with a kind of a prologue. Um, chronicling Chi uh, Sha's, uh, who is the demon hunter, his his romance with Xiu Xiu Xin. I'm not sure which one to go, which 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 uh, version of the names to go with Mandarin or Cantonese. Okay, so we will go with Cantonese. Um, so and because uh, he the demon hunter cannot fall in love with the ghost, he um, erases all of her memories and he goes back. And he is uh, banished from a from the life of a demon hunter because he uh, didn't stop the tree demon from um, from uh, killing his fellow demon hunters, uh, and that um, skirmish also uh, cut off the arm of a Shasher Feng Lei, who is played by Louis Fan, who is kind of like his his master slash uh, colleague. Um, Thing. And during that skirmish, uh, he, he he managed to lock the tree demon in. I think for for many many years. So now we go back to the the the, the, the contemporary period, or not the um, present, or back to the the original film, the time of the original film, when you have Ling Choi San who is uh, who travels through mountain, uh, and and he is um, asked to help a town that is going through a drought. He goes into the black mountains to look for water, and then he meets. The ghost Xiu Xin and uh, a romance ensues. The uh, demon hunter comes out and and essentially warns Ling Choi San to not mess with the demons. But the the the, the young innocent Ling Choi San he falls in love with the ghost anyway. Um, 
and then this brings about all kinds of mess, including the tree demon coming uh, coming back out, and and uh, of course a fight to the death with the spirits versus the the human demon hunters. Um, this is obviously uh, the camera work from the camera work to the yeah, just the the camera work by Arthur Wong tells you right away that he's trying to very much imitate the eighties and nineties kind of style camera work. Uh, like he, like author Wong, the cinematographer, like he did on Painted Skin, the camera is flying all over the place. There's uh, these these old old school angles, and and it's all very wild, and it looks tries very hard to imitate the look of a of an 80s 90s movie, and I think to a certain degree, almost too much. It using the they, they use the uh, they start off the the story after the prologue, the story starts with the Leslie Chun song from the original Chinese ghost story, a similar shot with Ling Chun song walking. So it tells you right away this is a remake. It's trying to bring back memories of the original film and it tries too hard to be a remake because then the stuff that, that gets a- added, it's even more obvious. Um, and I think that kind of takes away from the film, this film as uh, by itself when, when it's judged by itself. Um, the film even ends with the actual Leslie Chun song and with the screen it says dedicated to Leslie Churn. That kind of sent me off flying. It's I couldn't stand that. That really, really uh was ridiculous because if we're trying to remake a movie that's a tribute to Leslie Churn, then get a better actor to play his role. Um you you shall tune, I think he was in Forever and Thought and he was good. But here he has just absolutely no charm. I'm not even comparing to Leslie Churn. It's just it's a character has is so bland that um it's really no no competition to 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 the little school character who is who is funny you know in that really grumpy grumpy way and and who is kind of the more noble character in the film um and i think with the 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 new love triangle feels like two different movies added in you have the demon hunter who falls in love with the ghost and then you have the young innocent guy who falls in love with the ghost and it would have been served both stories would have been served if they were better served if they were two different movies um, I think right now when they're trying to pack this stuff in, the the story almost feels too simplified, and the love love triangle is really weak. Um, there's also some sanitized ghost loving because uh, I think uh, the original film, the the ghost human love is really about sex. It's a lot of carnal desire thing because you know the ghost can't feel emotion or the ghost can't you know, technically be in love. But here you have kind of a sanitized version. At one point, I think the ghost tries to have sex with Lin Choi-san, but doesn't get very far. And then there's a little bit of sexuality thrown out, but it's all kind of sanitized, um, partly because of China. Um, I The film is not really that engaging. It's okay in that, again, the, the wild camera work is kind of make it interesting to watch, but the story isn't that engaging because it's, doesn't really tell a story. The story is not that. It feels like it's all it's all been seen. It's all been done before. Um, Wilson Yip has director for hire written all over the place here. Um, I think the the Leslie Chun tributes the references to original film. I don't think it was his idea. I think a lot of it has to do with producer interference, and he's just doing very competent directing work here. Um, I think you know the film looks pretty as it is, um, but. I wish that he was more inspired or I wish that you got a more involved director um, doing it. Um, generally, it's just it's okay. I'm, uh, I can't... If you're a fan of the original and you want to see it out of curiosity, 
I think it's at least a TV hit. Um, but you know, if you're watching going in, going this story fresh, I suggest you watch the original instead um, because this doesn't do the original film justice. Um, if it was like I said earlier, if it was trying to be its own film, it was trying harder to create its own film without doing the '90s thing, without doing the Leslie Chun stuff. I think it might have actually worked better. But uh, right now, it's just kind of a failed remake for me. Paul, yeah, I think you you have a fresher memory of the original film. I haven't seen it for a very long time. I haven't seen a sequel. So, so what do you think? Yeah, I've watched. We 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 got the Blu-rays of one, two, and three. And watched them a couple weeks ago, uh, so the original is pretty fresh in my mind. Uh, the, the the first thing that kind of stuck out to me was the fact that you know basically she's not a ghost, um, and it's called the Chinese ghost story. Now you had mentioned we had talked earlier about this that in the original in, in the original books. Um, which is uh, the the series? I'm not sure if it's a series of books or short stories in a single book, but it's called Strange uh, Strange Stories from a Chinese Studio, is the English translation. And in that, basically, the there are no ghosts. That the it's demons and and animal you know sort of animal demon spirits. So this is a little bit more accurate, I guess you'd say, than the original. But the original was just such a classic with her you know, the Joey Wong character as a ghost. And that sparked a whole lot of other ghost movies, you know, in during that period in the 80s and the 90s, um, where they weren't spirits, they were ghosts. You know, they could go through walls and and become invisible and, and these kinds of things. So, but here she's a, basically a fox spirit, which is mm-hmm. a very common, you know, uh, temptress kind of a thing. Uh, but her sisters or the other girls under the control of the tree spirit, like one is, uh, I guess she's called um, White Snake, but I don't remember her being called that directly in the film. I think they just called her by a name, uh, you know, which is a, a similar reference to things like uh, Green Snake and, and other types of animal spirits t- that can take on human form. Okay, so that's fine. We get we, we get rid of it. But the first thing I started thinking is, okay, they've got this little CGI, you know, fox going around sometimes, and it's just, it's not that well done, you know. Um, but then again, I was thinking back to painted skin, and that wasn't, you know, that was kind of practical effects, and that wasn't that well done either. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like six of one, half dozen the other, other. There was a good opportunity here, but they really needed a bigger budget. And one would think with this film, the title of this film, and it's done very well over the years internationally. It's one of the better-known Hong Kong films out there in the international circuit. They could have gotten a better budget. You would have thought. Um, I would have. I, I think they could have had. They could have just filled this movie with names, with the right production behind it. I mean, and you do have names. I mean, Louis Koo is pretty much the biggest guy you know, the biggest male lead right now in Hong Kong, but they could have just fleshed this thing out with a ton of people. Um, but they didn't. They kind of went, did it on the cheap. Uh, I'm kind of sad to say. The FX are okay. In a, in a way, they're kind of on par with the original. And by that, they're not great. <laughs> I mean, and, I, and that's not a, necessarily a bad thing, but if you go back and you watch the original, especially if you watch it on Blu-ray, uh, the effects kind of stand out, and they're they're not that good. I don't know if you remember much about the original, but like 
the scene where he's um, at Orchid Monastery and he's staying in like one of the houses or something uh, that's part of the pavilion and down in the basement there are like all these zombies which were the people that the ghosts or the spirits had drained and left the bodies down there and they become animated and it's using stop motion and this is not very good um, and, and part two is even worse with the big goopy monster demon thing that shows up that's just some really bad practical effects but the movies are fun and this movie's not all that fun, I would say. Um, well, I think it's because part of it, it's, it's that they lose the kooky, crazy fun in order to kind of fit the Chinese audience. And they, they're more, they would buy more into a romance. I remember the beginning of this remake. It opens with uh, Louis Ku um, character's uh, wannabe Wong Kar Wai line. You know, this whole monologue about sort of forgetting her, who yeah. she is, and then one day she'll forget. The Chinese commercial audience, they buy this sort of stuff. They buy, a, they buy one quote representing the entire movie. They buy these sad romance tragedy kind of stuff. Yeah. And this is, I think that's what they, they tweaked it for. They cut out the crazy monster stuff. They cut out the crazy cookie effects. And then they up the the romance romance quota. To, but the, to the problem is, is the romance. romance I, uh, the romance didn't work for yes, me. Yes, that is true. That um, is true yeah. You know, uh, Liu Yifei is okay. I mean, she's she's attractive. I think she plays off the sort of the innocent yet seductive nature of the role. Um, you know, almost as well as Joey Wong did. I think that you know they they got somebody who kind of fit the role perfectly and in some ways you might say she was kind of typecast um but yeah you, you shall chun he is no leslie i'm sorry and i know that maybe that was intentional because they wanted to put the focus on lewis ku's character but if that's the case they shouldn't have had him here at all they should have gone and made this a complete reboot you know and and not made any reference to leslie like you said and had this totally done from the perspective of this character rather than the character of uh, Ning Choi-san. And, you know, little changes are, you know, he's he's not a tax collector now. He's a, or, or he was like a, I don't know if he was exactly a tax collector or an accountant or what he was, but he went around yeah, checking yeah, everybody's so. books right, in, right. in the first one. And here he's like an official coming to find Help water. And, and so that's a little bit different. And, that, and that's fine. It's not, you know, that's not a deal breaker. Uh, for the film, but he just didn't have the charisma that was needed. I for for me to root root for him. I I wasn't rooting for him, uh, and in fact, I wanted to see much less of him than I actually did. Um, and and as far as the the Lewis angle, they needed a lot more Lewis, and I thought that's what we, what we were going to get. And I was really surprised that we got less Lewis than was actually there. Um, what would have been I what a I think would have been a very interesting angle is if they would have taken this and said, all right, this is going to be about that story when he's young, right? Mm -hmm. um, about them meeting and about their romance and him coming to grips with this as a, as a demon hunter and about that battle. Because in some ways they mix this story with the original story with the part three. I don't know if you remember part three, but that's the one with um, uh, uh, Lang Chiu Wai. And um, it brings back the tree demon um, because in the first one the Wu Ma character seals her up for a hundred years or something um, and it's a really short battle and then they, they do this whole thing where they have to go um, 
saves Susan from hell because she's been she's been married off to this duke in hell or something. None of that is here. It, this is all about the fight with the tree demon. Um, so and and in a sense, because she's been trapped, that was the plot of the start of the third film. So it's it's a mixture of all these different elements from the films. And I think it would have been much more interesting for them just to do, okay, this is the story of the young Lewis character and his relationship with her, and then maybe it ends with the Ning Choi Sun character showing up, and he's much, much older. You know, he's actually the age that the Wu Ma character was at that point. Mm. You know, so hinting that, okay, he did in fact have this relationship with this this ghost. Maybe it's the same one, maybe not. <clears throat> Excuse me, maybe not. Um, but they could have just done so many more interesting things with the narrative than what they did here. So I was kind of disappointed, I would say. Um, the costuming's kind of weird because the fellow spirits, their costumes are like really outrageous and and kind of yeah, uh, busty. And... Yeah, busty and slutty. And, you know, it doesn't match with the way that um, Susan's character is. You know, she's, she's this white fox and so she has the traditional white dress. And so it's a little bit of a mismatch. Um, I think they could have worked on the costuming a little bit better. Kara Hoy, I thought was great, though, as the tree spirit. She's really over the top, but she made it fun for me for the most part. Um, but I hate to admit this, and it's not even a week since I've seen it. I didn't remember how the film ended. <laughs> um, and to me, that really says something, that it's not a memorable film. Um, I was trying to think, well, wait a minute, I don't remember what happened. I remember the final battle, and I remember, uh, I remember, um, uh, who was it, uh, uh, Louis Fon, you know, coming in, and, and, and his, his uh, sister coming in to, to help them, and, but I don't remember the end of the film, the, like the very end. I, I know they had tribute to Leslie, and that really threw me. I was like, why did they put yeah. that in there? And that maybe that distracted me so much or, or upset me so much, like you were saying, that it kind of overwrote the ending for me. Um, but yeah, it's just, it wasn't memorable. And so I've got to say, it's not something to rush out and see. Um, you know, it's if, if you're a fan of the genre, if you're a fan of the first film, you, you're going to want to see it. But, you know, you can TV it. Yeah, it was just such a such a unremarkable movie. So that which which again hinted at you know Wilson Yip being just a director for hire by you know and someone I can, who you know I can tell you I can it. tell you with with all honesty I really enjoyed Painted Skin mm-hmm. and I went into Painted Skin not really knowing what to expect not really being sure what it was about and I was really pleased with what they did with Painted Skin I would much rather see Painted Skin again than watch this again. Yeah, here the, I I didn't like painted skin. I thought the the camera work here is is a little cooler because painted skin was mostly indoors, and here you got all these all these shots through the trees and things like that. It's kind of neat. Um, but I don't like either films. I think China. I think there might have been. I'm not sure if there were just restrictions or just generally untalented writers and directors out there in China. Um, I just can't. You know, both both attempts at these supernatural period films just. Have gone really flat for me. Yeah, I, I I really enjoyed Painted Skin. This one, I'm just really disappointed. They had a really good opportunity here, and they just kind of, you know, whisked it away because it was a big name, um, which is sad. I will say one thing. There's there's a scene where I don't remember exactly what happens, but a spell gets cast on Louis Ku's character, 
and he ends up on this endless sea of leaves <laughs> and he's just kind of like riding it out <laughs> like you know he's like a surfer lost at sea or something and i thought that was kind of funny um there, there are some fun there are some fun funny moments but in general kind of disappointing all right so we've got a little bit of news to talk about with regard to this film we've been holding on to it for a while um and this coming from our favorite site film biz asia by Stephen kremen and it talks a little bit about the box office so what can you tell us how's this doing kevin the film um opened uh on the 19th i think april 19th and uh, in six days, it made 70 million RMB, which is um, pretty good. I think it's it already beat uh, two weeks box two weeks box office for Don't Go Breaking My Heart or One Weekend or something like that. Anyway, uh, with the holidays coming up, it's going to probably do a good 150 million RMB, which will put it probably, if not one of the highest grossing Chinese films of the year, um, then at least in the top 20 is a pretty big hit depends on of course it depends on how it go how it does against the Donnie movie but a 72.72.5 million RMB opening is is pretty darn good yeah. um so i guess the 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 bet payoff you know you were talking about the budget earlier and i think i think these type of films are still considered risky in china which is which might explain why the film wouldn't have the budget of say you know Donnie movie or the uh other other period action films because this this is mainly a romance one a romance and two uh, a period film and three a supernatural movie, um, so it makes sense. But I guess it paid off for the producer, no matter how misguided this whole project was in terms of quality. Mm, yeah, the shame. It's interesting. It says that uh, um, with its nationwide attendance crossing two two million admissions, Ghost secured approximately forty eight percent of admissions and 47% of the RMB box office as the only new film on release in cinemas. Um, and it's still, I mean, it only it's only getting general release here in Hong Kong as of today, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it had advanced showings last weekend, which is why we... Yeah, cause of, because primarily because of, of the holiday and, and things. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, it, if it goes on to do well and they decide to do a sequel... Hopefully they won't decide to do the exact sequel of Chinese Ghost Story Two because that, aside from Jackie Chung, that movie's terrible. Um, but you know, may, maybe they'll do a sequel. Maybe they'll be able to get a bigger budget and they'll be able to do it better. I'm I'm hard on it in, in a way. the The effects are actually pretty decent in some in some places. Um, and I will say that the fighting, the, some of the fight sequences were re- really good. You know, and you know it's got Louis uh, Louis Fan. You can't go wrong with him when he's doing action, right? Yeah, well, I'm hard on it the way that I don't want them to do it again. It's just the whole thing is misguided. Um, I'm not sure what could have been done to it be better because I don't think Wilson Yip had any control. Uh, in a way, he just sort of gave the cinematography to Arthur Wong, who went really wild. Um, it was just a really ill-conceived project. Uh, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're not... On, on, a, on a business level, it's not ill-conceived because look at how much money is made. But I think the real test for it will be this this coming week when it goes up against the Donnie movie. Um, according to Gross's, uh, some of the emission figures I've seen here in Hong Kong, the film has essentially flopped here. Hmm. Um, so, But of course, it doesn't matter because it's making money in China. And it's probably sold quite well overseas to people just based on this name alone. So we might we might see another one. I just hope they um, the producer will bring on better writers or bring up better director and better cast. Mm. 
The, the thing that did surprise me though was no cameos. Mm. I would. I wish Trey is the closest thing to a cameo. I guess. Yeah, I mean, but he wasn't. He wasn't in the original. Mm-hmm. And I would say I. I would have. I would have thought they would have tried to get Joey Wong just to you know pop in for a quick cameo or maybe Wu Ma. I mean, I know Wu Ma's getting up there in terms of age. Um, but you know they could have had them just pop on for a scene or two. That would have been kind of cool. Well, Joey Wang is retired, and I think I guess they they just didn't have the uh, the resources or the imagination even to to hire anyone mm. for that kind of work. Yeah, it's too bad. It is time to move on and talk about our West screen films this week. Uh, we've got two animated features to talk about. The first one up is Hop, the Easter-themed holiday film directed by Tim Hill, starring James Marsden, uh, Russell Brand, Kaylee Cuoco, Elizabeth Perkins, Hugh Laurie, and Hank Azaria, among others, um, including The Hoff. I would oh. per- perish the fact that I w- wouldn't mention The Hoff, right? Um oh. So this is basically a holiday film telling the story of the young bunny next in line to be to inherit the title of the Easter Bunny from his father, who currently holds the role. Um, but the problem is he wants to go off and become a superstar drummer. So he decides to run away, and during the course of running away, uh, he bumps into James Marsden's character, and the two end up going on a series of misadventures... Um, they, they kind of really share the same identity because James Marsden lives at home with his parents. He doesn't have a decent job. They consider him kind of a lounge about, uh, lackadaisical character who's uh, good for nothing. Um, and he's not able to go out and successfully get anything in terms of interviews. So it's kind of like he's wasting his life. Um, meanwhile, back at the Easter Bunny factory, uh, the game's afoot as the chicks decide uh, that their leader, their long-term leader who wants to become uh, the first uh, non-bunny Easter bunny, uh, they decide to hold a little bit of a coup. And so it becomes up to his human friend to try and save the day. Um, wow, what can we say? Basically copies almost every holiday formula out there, but not nearly as good. Uh, it's... Like Elf meets the Santa Claus meets Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, um, you know, or the Isle of Misfit Toys or, or what have you. And throw in a little bit of Alvin and the Chipmunks because this is an animation slash live action mix and it just doesn't work. I mean, I love 
Alvin and the Chipmunks. I, I loved the original songs. I liked the cartoons. Kind of liked the first movie. The second movie, not so much. Um, but it's kind of weak, you know. And that's Alvin and the Chipmunks, who I really like. Hop? No, I, it just had nothing for me. I thought this would have been a lot better as a simply a pure animation. Get rid of all the live actors. Um, I, I probably would have enjoyed it a bit more. You've got the Hoff in it, basically playing himself as like in starting his own show called Hoff Knows Talent instead of America's Got Talent, which he got fired from. Um, and so it becomes Hop's goal to go and you know perform for him uh, on this show and and have his big break. You've got Kaylee Coco from Big Bang Theory. And she's kind of phoning it in. I mean, the thing, the way she acts here is just like she acts on the show. Um, nothing really special there. Uh, some gags here and there, you know, Easter-related stuff. You know, uh, Hop can poop jelly beans. Funny, right? Huh? Huh? Uh, no. Um, the, the, the gags here, the problem is the gags here, a lot of them the kids won't get, right? So, like, at one scene, Hop makes a reference, you know, Hop says... To David Hasselhoff, he says, aren't you, aren't you, like, amazed that I can talk and I can play the drums? And the Hoff, without batting an eye, he says, hey, that's nothing. I've got a car that talks. Um, and he's obviously referring to Kit from Knight Rider, which no kid in the audience is going to understand. Okay? No kid is going to get that joke. That joke is, you know, directed at adults my age and probably older but the plot here is just too lame for adults to want to be in this movie. Um, so yeah, there's just it's just tired. It's it's not well thought out. It's not well produced. Um, I think there could have been a story here. They could have made it a whole lot more original. You know, the Easter Bunny flies around the world in a flying egg that's pulled by like instead of eight reindeer, a hundred little chicks, right? really seriously and they live on easter island i mean the, 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 i was just uh, it was uh flee it flee it uh, preferably at hopping speed okay just uh, avoid it uh, kevin i throw it to you um it's the bunny claws that's what i call it it's the bunny claws um it's just really made for kids it's um a really lazy story and Obviously, kids who enjoy animated bunnies will want to watch it, and they will scream and shout until you let them watch it. So adults should only go if they're bringing children. Um, I'm sorry, I went alone. So, um, And the lady next to me, actually, an adult lady, whenever one of those pop song came out or whenever uh, EB, who is the bunny's other name, starts drumming or whenever you know, big, a loud pop star starts going, she starts dancing and she starts uh, nodding her head. So I'm not sure if it's us or if, you know, if, this, if this lady is really into the movie. Um, apparently adults could enjoy this movie, um, I guess. Um, but I didn't. It was just obviously a money job for everyone involved. Uh, you know, I'm sure the people of Illumination Entertainment who make Despicable Me, I'm sure they work really hard on animating uh, the bunnies and the chicks and all the computer animated stuff. They work very hard. I'm sure a lot of long shifts. But all the human actors just kind of phoned it in. Um, however, uh, David Hasselhoff, he had the fortune of being able to do it winking at the audience the entire time. He's just kind of, kind of doing it like a tongue-in-cheek thing. And I was kind of amused by that. Yeah. And you were talking about... Uh, he got the, his paycheck. <laughs> he got his paycheck and he got to do it 
he got to do it all jokey. Yeah. So he, I'm sure he he's the big winner here. Um, and you're right about the jokes. I mean, you have the the Night Rider. Convenient that Hoff didn't bring up Baywatch. Um, <laughs> and also, there's a at one point the the bunny who goes to Hollywood goes to the Playboy Mansion. Yeah. What the, what is going on here? All these sexual innuendo stuff and and um, there's also a kind of an, a, a hidden racism thing with the. Uh, when the chick, uh, the lead chick, uh, who has, uh, of course, a Latin accent, Latino accent, brings up uh, being able to do the, the, the job of passing out Easter basket, the bunny laughs at his face. Hmm. In his face. It's like, it's like, wait a minute. Is this movie is not only dumb, but also racist? Um, or, or animalism or whatever. Um, Stupidism. You know, yeah, stupidism, whatever it is. It's just a very strange message to teach the kids. You know, these... Righteous, uh, cute bunnies are are okay with humans being Easter Bunny. It's not a spoiler because he tells you the James Marsden tell you right in the beginning how he became the Easter Bunny, um, and and then suddenly you know chicks, other 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 animals can't do it. Hey, what's up, chick? Because what he has a Latin Latino accent. What's going on? Um, and just kind of with weird weird uh, agenda or whatever it is is going on. Um, and and there's a balance before that and I'll, I'll talk about that later Rango I think Rango suffers or it has the same kind of issues um, just because a movie is written for kids doesn't mean it has to be lazy you know I think I think uh, Hop proves the is kind of like the anti example for it yeah I or, mean that's the thing that really makes me angry with this because I, I love animation as I've said before um, and I could even find Alvin and the Chipmunks uh, somewhat tolerable some, somewhat enjoyable but this was just so lazy there was not like a new idea anywhere in this, in the story. I mean, if they would have come up with this really original take on the Easter Bunny, and it's wide open, right? It's 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 because there are no real Easter Bunny films out there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so they had a wide open territory to come up with something completely new. But it, it's just this combination between Elf, the, the Santa Claus. Uh, you could even find some like Nightmare Before Christmas aspects in it. I mean, it's just... It, it, it there's nothing new here, and that's insulting uh, yeah. for me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the most inventive thing it has is the uh, turning the Universal logo in the beginning, the globe turning into yeah. Easter egg. Yeah. That's about the most inventive thing in the entire yeah, film. Yeah, that's about it. And, and yeah. I, I saw that, and I like pointed. I was like, "Hey, it's an egg. Hey, you know." But it's all downhill from there. <laughs> yeah. So, so obviously, for for oh, okay. Why does a bunny from Easter Island have a British accent? I'm just asking. Just well, it's because it's 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 a uh, house. That's yeah. why uh, in in his side job. <laughs> <laughs> is this is this why? And also Russell Brand. Why why does why why did they find Russell Brand? I mean, last time I checked, uh, uh, Easter Island is in. Uh, I'm looking at Wikipedia right now. It's in the southeastern Pacific Ocean. Yeah. Well, it was you know, it if, was it was colonized. <laughs> if, if anything, like Hong if Kong. Anything, the Latino, the Latino accent chicks probably have more, more of a, a geographical right to own that island. Wait, than, well, than, than, than weren't the, the big island. heads on Easter Island brought by aliens or something? Um, or or or, or evil Inc. Mr. Twister. I think Mr. Oh, okay. Yeah, there. there you go. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So it's just the whole movie doesn't make any sense. But you know, it's it's impossible to ask for logic in a movie of an animated bunny. So if you have a kid who must see it. You know, obviously you have to go, so nothing we say will, will, will matter. But um, if you don't, and you have a choice, and you want to take, you know, your your girlfriend who likes animated bunnies and things like that, then uh, you will take her, or you get dumped. But if not, then skip the movie, please. Skip, hop, hop away from hop. 
Alright, so our second animated feature up is uh, Rango. Now, I haven't gotten out to see this. I wanted to see it. Uh, I just, it's not been uh, a time where I could kind of fit it in. But you've seen it, Kevin, so why don't you take us through uh, your thoughts on it? Yeah, sure. Uh, Rango, very quickly, Rango is uh, directed by Gore Verbinski, who, uh, who was a music video director who also did Mouse Hunt, who also directed all three Pirates of the Caribbean movie, and this is his first animated feature. Um, this is also the first animated feature of Industrial Light and Magic, who you might know for doing the uh, being one of the most legendary special effects house in 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 well film Star Wars, uh, Star Wars of course, and um, and also Transformers I think um, and Independence Day blah blah so on and so forth. This is their first animated feature, and it looks absolutely beautiful. Uh, they even brought on Roger Deakins, who is uh, one of the best-known cinematographers out there, who still hasn't won an Oscar, by the way. He's uh, the Cohen, one of the most often used uh, cinematographer for the Cohen brothers. He was brought on as the uh, cinematography consultant, so you know how beautiful this movie is going to look. Uh, Rango is about a chameleon who has an existential crisis, voiced by Johnny Depp, who, um, after a car accident, gets thrown out of the car that he was in, and he gets stuck in the middle of a desert. So he 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 walks into this um, remote town that has all these ant talking bugs, talking animals, and um, of course the joke is that he's a chameleon who can't blend in. Um, and and from that on, from then on, he of course he uh, with a few tall tales. He becomes sort of the hero of the town uh, after he he also defeats a hawk, and then he becomes a sheriff of the town. Now the problem with the town is that they um, they're in the middle of a desert and they're also going undergoing a drought. So um, ra- uh, now the, li- the 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 chameleon who who named himself Rango um, must lead a posse out to the middle of the desert to find water, and that's all go from there. Because even if I if if I even start mentioning uh, what movie the rest of the plot is from, uh, you already know how the plot goes. So I must well not not go into that. Um, Rango is. A movie filled with movie references. It is a cocktail of everything from from uh, West old Western films to to film noir to references to Apocalypse Now. There's even a, a there's even a reference to Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which makes this a really delightful movie for movie buffs. Um, I loved it. I'm just I'm just picking out things here and there. I'm laughing because you know it, it's also such it's all done so. At, at once so slyly and also really obvious that they're doing it. So the more references you get, obviously, the more fun you're going to have at this movie. Um, but the problem is those references are to movies that kids shouldn't have seen. Um, so I think this is more of a, as rare as it sounds, an animated movie made for adults and also a very, I don't want to use the word elite, but a very selective group of adults, uh, particularly film buffs. Um However, my a friend of mine, an old classmate, he he took his uh, I think six or seven year old daughter to the film. Uh, obviously, not a not a film buff, and he said that she kind of had fun in her own way, and he had fun in his own way because he was the one picking all these movie references, and she, I guess, were picking up the adventure part. So maybe kids might like it, but uh, from what I've been reading, there are a lot of um, there's a lot of di- a very divisive response in America. Uh, some people not getting it. Uh, they don't find what's so great about it, and then you have the movie buffs who love it. So, 
I can really understand why that is because it's essentially Gore Verbinski spending $135 million uh, and years of his time making a love letter to movies that he loves. And with that, you know, of course, if you're a film buff, and of course, if you're not, then you won't be listening to this show. Um, definitely see it with a capital S-E-E-I-T. See it if you're a film buff because you'll probably love it, especially if you love Westerns. Um, if you're not a movie buff, um, I would say TV it just to see um, because Johnny Depp is good and the rest of the voice cast is, is good. Um, and I think I think there might still be a chance you might have fun at it. So I say TV it. Um, but otherwise, I mean, you're listening, like I said, you're listening to the show. Uh, Paul, you must be a movie buff. You probably seen have seen a good deal of Western films and nah, film noirs. I hate movies. Oh. Movie, movies suck. <laughs> oh man, then you're gonna hate it. No, then you should probably TV it. But come on, I know the real Paul is somewhere in there. Paul, you definitely should see this movie. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, now is this is this a 3D film or a 2D? 2D. Ah, Glorious good. 2D. Thank yeah, God for 2D. I, I think I don't know if it's still playing. I think it might have stopped right. I might have to wait for video. No, I think even the studio saw it and figured that not many, pe- not not a lot of people were gonna get it. So, so they, they kind of uh, went really light with the release. Um, it wasn't limited, but it was definitely not as wide as under animated movies. Uh, plus, the animation market has been really flooded this year. It's, there's yeah. been a we've, lot we've of... We've had a lot oh, since yeah. the beginning of the year. Yeah, so, so I think the studio or the distributor didn't really give it much of a chance. And um, so I think it's kind of gone by now. But there's, if any way you can, definitely try and seek it out. I wanted to see it a second time, but I couldn't find time for it. I had a lot of fun in it. The only flaw I say it has is that if you strip all the movie references out of the movie, uh, even off the plot, the movie isn't really much. It's not really, there's not really a real core to it. The movie is really based on and built on previous works, and that's really its only flaw. But it has, it's just so much fun to, to see it that. I can't really count it too much against the film just based on, you know, what how I enjoyed it. Hmm. So it's kind of like a Wong Kar Wai movie, but fun. <laughs> You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Kongcast.com for more. got a lot of comments on the last episode uh, in part basically because of what we were talking about uh, but one comment in particular that I thought I'd mention here on the show uh, came from a frequent commenter Gary Lau who was posting up a interesting clip that he came across um, I'm not sure how he came across it if it was on, on he, he came across it on his Facebook or somebody had sent him the link but uh, on YouTube, basically, there is this response to 3D Sex and Zen that was read out by uh, Chapman Toe, uh, the actor, Hong Kong, local Hong Kong actor and radio personality, as many people might know him. It wasn't written by Chapman Toe, but he apparently found it funny enough, this, this critical response of the movie, that he decided to read it out and, and put it up on his Facebook to, or, or put it up on YouTube or something. Um, and apparently you can hear his wife, Crystal, in the background on occasion. Now, have you heard this, Kevin? Yeah, I put it on my Facebook because it's so, it's so hilarious because the, the writer of this comment, it was on a message board or something, he, he not only complained about um, the violence in the film and he said that um, how he wasn't, 
how would I say? He didn't have a biological reaction to the film. And, and he complained how uh, the movie, because he was a very big Vonnie Loy fan. And he, he was he, he talked about how he, how he waited a year to and just uh, how, how glad he was to be 18, just to be 18 when the movie came out. And how he wasted a whole year waiting because he's, he's liked her all for a long, long time. And it's, and it's filled with Cantonese uh, curse words. And it's hilarious just because it's, it's, um, it's really funny. I mean, yeah, I, I I was laughing the, when I first started listening to it, and then I actually got my wife to come in and go through it with me, and she started cracking up, and uh, she basically explained all the parts I didn't really understand to me. I really wish I had the time and the skills to uh, take the video and subtitle it. Uh, I'll put the link up on the website, but if you don't know Cantonese, it's you're probably not going to uh, understand much of it. If you, you know, you know some foul language in Cantonese, you'll hear some things here and there. But still, just hearing Chapman Toe read it is, is worthwhile. Um, it, so you might want to take a look if that's interesting. It, it really is funny. I, I would say if you have a friend who speaks Cantonese, uh, it's worthwhile getting them to sit down with you and tell and translate for you as you're watching it because it, it's a really funny response. And apparently there's been a response from the director to this. Um, but I haven't taken the time to go and look that up. Actually, I think uh, I've heard that uh, uh, Chairman Toa since apologized to the director. I mean, in, it never he never stated that it represented his view, and I don't agree with the view in the in the uh, in the comment because it's so written so dumb because you know he was expecting the wrong things from the movie. But it was just yeah, uh, I'm not sure why Chairman Toa had to had to apologize because he just was just he reading. Shouldn't have to really, apologize. It was darn yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, it was just he was just reading out a really badly written comment written by a really juvenile 18 year old, yeah. a Nelson. But I think the problem is that he never really truly said whether it represented his view or not. I mean, yeah. that was really the big thing. But yeah, it, I think it's one of the most hilarious things he's done in years. Yeah, worth a look. Yeah. All right. Well, that's gonna wrap things up for this episode. We're a bit. Over time this week, uh, but that's to be expected because we had four films to cover. Uh, as always, you can find us over at our website, www.concast.com, or on iTunes. We would love to hear from you if you want to leave us some feedback there. You can follow along, uh, each of us, you can follow the show at uh, www.twitter.com slash concast, or you can follow Mr. Ma at twitter.com slash thegoldenrock. You can email us here directly at eastscreen at gmail.com. And if you'd like to have a question played here on the show, you can send it to us, a short audio file um, to that address, or just send us a comment over on the website, and we might just talk about it here on the show. Uh, final thoughts there, Kevin? Um, no, just a really, you know, two, a week of really bad films. Thank God for Rango, I guess. <laughs> Too bad yeah. Rango is gone, but... Yeah, just not really excited about films yeah. this last. Are you are you writing writing anything this week? Where can people catch up on some of your writing? Ah, uh, yes. Uh, sometimes, once in a while, almost on a weekly basis, I write for www.ypmovies.com.hk. Uh, I have no reviews this week. Um, I think in a week or two, I'll be writing the new Robert Pattinson movie, uh, War for Elephants. But we'll talk about that later. But for now, you can read my review of Punished, uh, the new Milky Way film that's coming out on May fifth on www.lovehkfilm.com. Woohoo! Right, and so next time, uh, our episode 63, we are scheduled to talk about The Lost Bladesman, Donnie. 
Donnie. And uh, we'll be also talking about Gantz, which both of us have already seen, but uh, we didn't have... Because we got the chance to talk about Chinese Ghost Story, we decided to bump Gantz by a week. So don't have Gantz in your pants. We will get to it shortly. Mm. Um, and, of course, the big Marvel film Thor has arrived here in Hong Kong, and we'll be talking about that next week as well. I think that's going to do it, Kevin. Any, yes, sir. Any last comments? Um, well wishes? Thoughts for the future? Thoughts? Uh, world peace. Yes. Yeah. Give and, world peace a chance. Yes, and uh, yo, Chori Lee, fat. <laughs> All right, I think that's going to wrap it up here, folks. As always, we'll wish you good viewing, and we'll see you next time. See you next time, everybody. Uh-huh.